I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility podcast. We're at an exciting time in the mobility sector with new technology causing us to continually question the way we move both goods and people. My job is to talk to the people leading this revolution and to highlight the challenges and opportunities we face as we develop and implement safe, sustainable, and equitable mobility solutions. This podcast is brought to you by FEV. Check us out on LinkedIn or learn more at FEV.com. Today's guest is Josh Sobel. Josh is Chief Commercial Officer for XRO Technologies. So before joining XRO, Josh previously led Siemens Canada's mining business for Western Canada. So as you might guess already, we, we got into some new ground in this conversation, which, which was a lot of fun. Um, so the primary point of this conversation, we're talking about XRO's technology, and they do a few different things, but really what we honed in on here is their coil driver technology. Uh, essentially what this is, is it, it plays a different role or it plays the role of the inverter on a vehicle. And if you, if you don't remember from past conversations, don't worry, we, we talk about kind of inverter 101 in, in the conversation. But uh, really what, what it does is it converts DC to AC power from the battery to the electric motor. And it, with that, the, the inverter or the coil driver, as they're talking about here, plays a significant role in the performance and efficiency of the vehicle. And in particular, XRO's claim and the data they have shows that the approach they take has uh, the ability to pull two different torque profiles from the same electric machine, which theoretically has, has some pretty cool advantages. So we, we talk a lot about that. We talk about the specific applications in which this has um, power and then also kind of the, the path forward. So overall, really, really cool conversation. Please enjoy my conversation with Josh Sobel. Today, I'm joined by Josh Sobel. Josh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much, Brendan. So can you start us off, please, by introducing yourself and sharing a bit about your background and then also what you're working on now? Sure, yeah. Um, so I'm the chief commercial officer for, for XRO Technologies right now. Um, originally by trade, I'm, I come from a mechanical engineering background so at a school. Uh, I worked first with uh, General Electric uh, with their large motor division as an engineer and then um, moved into kind of the commercial side. So sales and uh, business development um, after a few years, um, I wasn't necessarily that cut out, I guess, for the, the detailed engineering. I moved more into business development, like I said, and, and into the, the commercial side. So um, I worked with GE for about seven years and then uh, moved over to Siemens um, where I was um, a country manager for their mining business. And um, really that's where I kind of got exposure more into drives and, and, and motors and system type engineering. Um, I did that for about five years with them. And then about uh, 18 months ago now, um, I moved over into XRO. Um, the current CEO that we have, I, I worked for GE and uh, she had just taken on the role and was, and was really looking to commercialize the technology. And so, um, yeah, with XRO, uh, Fundamentally, we're a power electronics company, and uh, what we've developed really is is focused on um, traction type drives. So, automotive obviously is a focus for us, um, but generally just mobility. It's it's on land and it rolls. Um, it's something that we're we're really um, really you know eager to look into um, in terms of what our technology does. So, um, yeah, our focus is really around um, power electronics development advanced motor control, um, but also on battery control um, and battery um, uh, battery management systems as well. Cool. So I'll, I want to dive in in detail here and we, we will in a minute, but re real quick aside. So uh, mining business. So that's, if you're coming from, I'm in the, in the Detroit area, automotive, 
the, the mining diff- business is a completely different world to me to some extent. So I'd be curious, what are, what are your thoughts? Like how, I imagine it's probably more similar than I realize. how, at least like on a propulsion system side, it, how similar or different it is from an automotive propulsion system. Yeah. I mean, for, it's, it's, it, it, so broadly speaking, attraction application um, has a very similar um, torque profile and control in terms of how you apply an electric machine. So if it's a haul truck in a mining application, for example, um, or even if you look at um, more traditional traction applications for electric motors, even like, uh, like rail applications, mm-hmm. um, you're really taking a similar torque profile and you're applying it, the electric motor into a rolling application that the need and, and, the, and the, the application of that machine is, is, is similar to a degree. The business model is very different when you look at mining versus, um, I would say, automotive. And for me, when I started with, with XRO, um, it, was, it was definitely a, a, a deep dive into the tech. Where, where does it apply at mm-hmm. the time? It, it was really kind of more of an R&D-focused company, uh, more like a lab um, application was, was sort of, they had an idea that it was definitely traction, but maybe, you know, we could, we could apply it elsewhere. Um, and I came in and, and, and with, with our CEO, Sue, we sort of sat back and looked at, well, where, where is, first of all, it has, it has a few, it has to tick a few boxes, right? One is obviously where does the tech have a value proposition just from a, 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 a te- just from an engineering standpoint, yep. does it, does it fit a certain application? So, you know, there's a few applications we've recognized, um, but then you, you have to look at the other boxes, right? The more, I guess we'll see. Sort of pragmatic boxes are, is there even a market there and what's the growth rate of that market? And, and how does, how does you, how do you sort of execute within that market? And when we sort of, when you look at mining haul trucks as an example, well, that you're talking about megawatts of power. And if for a company that is, um, and that's not to say there's not an application there. I don't want to, I don't want to say that, but when you look at the, the standards that you need to meet in terms of safety for voltage, for the enclosure, for um, the heavy duty, even just the cranes to lift those kinds of machines that the infrastructure that you need. Um, for us, it was like, it was sort of, okay, let's park that to the side, even though it is, it is more my background. Um, but we know we have this sort of traction application that we can anchor around for the, for the coil driver, which we can get into in a little bit, talk about that, but what is the what is the market where we could develop fast? There's a market for it that's growing fast, and um, and where we can we can actually do something um, from an infrastructure from a business infrastructure standpoint that makes sense. And so, um, automotive ticked all those boxes. And 18 months ago was good timing. It turned out to to sort of hit um, hit at that. Obviously, there was there was sort of um, an underpinning that. Uh, in the automotive market, electrification is here. Um, you know, Tesla obviously and others kind of established that. But for us, it was okay. There's these models of cars coming out, but you know, if we can be the the component under that that really underpins how these how these cars are going to be adopted, um, improve the cost position of these vehicles, improve the performance of these vehicles. Um, and then limit complexity in these vehicles. And, and that was really where we were going to focus and, and put in play. So, so yeah, it was a lot of learning actually and bringing in the right people 
that could kind of help us direct, okay, so what are the, the key components and the key standards we need to meet in the automotive sector? Very, very different, obviously, but, but it was, um, you know, it was how we kind of directed the company, how we made the decisions. Yeah, it's interesting. And I want to, uh, to circle back here to uh, specific use cases. And I think it's interesting, the different markets and stuff. But I guess before we get too deep, I want to take a step back and understand kind of what, what, what we're actually offering or what you're, you're actually offering here. So the uh, so if, if we set electric vehicles 100, talk about like entry level, talk about the uh, propulsion system and, and correct me if I'm wrong. But so basically, yeah, you have this energy stored in a traction battery, big battery pack on the vehicle. It's a direct current. Electric motors run on AC alternating current. You have, therefore, a need to convert from AC to DC. That's what the inverter does. And along with that, there's a control function because the amplitude and the frequency of the output from a standard inverter, whether it's a silicon, silicon carbide, etc., determines the speed and torque profile of the electric motor. And so... And then there's a gearbox and it goes from there, which, which we'll probably circle back to. But essentially the, the functions of the inverter, the vehicle is uh, converting and then some control. And I, I think it's interesting as well, because I think a lot of the attention is often provided, often put on the, the battery packs and the electric motors with the, uh, the in-between neglected. So with that groundwork set, can you explain kind of what, what this coil driver is that XRO is providing and commercializing at this point? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you're 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 exactly right. I think that was another piece of a puzzle that I, that we recognized we had an opportunity to differentiate where others others weren't trying to uh, innovate. And um, yeah, fundamentally, you, you got a ton of attention on the battery. People love to talk about battery chemistries and battery voltages, um, infrastructure for charging batteries, all of these different topics that go along with electric vehicles. It's also really, I think, it's really relatable and, and mechanical to look at an electric motor and see a turning device and then look at the materials. So coppers, different types of magnets, you can kind of talk about which ones have different properties. Um, now there's this battery, batteries, you know, if you dig even mildly deeply at them, they're, they're all, it's all DC current that comes from a battery. Uh, the motors, if you look, you know, just surface level deep at these motors, they're all AC. So how do you get from DC to AC? And, and the inverter is that missing link. And so all of that energy flows through one, one box that's sort of a black box, I think, for most people. Um, and trying to explain that actually, well, that's one of the biggest challenges to the layman to understand that, that, you know, what it, you know, even just that there's a conversion component that's just as important, if not more important to then say the electric motor. Um, and I know I'll get probably crucified online just for saying that by some people, but, <laughs> but, uh, but ultimately the, the controller is, is, a, is, is how you, how you drive the motor. So it's how you, it's, it's how you command torque. It's how you, um, apply voltage to the actual machine. Um, it, that's not coming directly from the battery. The, the battery is sort of this energy storage bank that's just giving you voltage. And, and then what you do with that voltage really it depends on what the controller mm -hmm. is doing. And so there, there's, uh, there's really not been a huge amount of innovation in terms of, let's say, topology or form factor. So, so the actual circuitry of an inverter, it's been very much um, 
sort of just standard H bridge type designs, three phase, maybe six phase where you kind of put them in parallel. There's even a nine phase design out there. Um, and people have kind of played around with how you stack in the different inverters. What, what we've done is, is kind of looked at the system a bit differently. We've taken a look at if you could drive the motor differently. So if we could, let's say the motor doesn't have to be a three phase or a six phase or a nine phase or a 12 phase or whatever um, machine design you want to look at. What if we could just design the motor such that we could apply the voltage to individual coil groupings however we wanted? And so our topology, so the circuit design of the actual um, coil driver is fundamentally different. At its core, though, what it does is it takes DC energy and it converts it into an AC waveform that then drives the machine. But it's, it's the way that we drive the machine that's very, very different. And the topology of the drive itself is a, is a, is a, new, is a new version of an inverter, let's call it. And so where you might have different designs of motors on the market for axial flux or synchronous reluctance, hybrid um, inductive and um, reluctance versus um, um, uh, permanent magnet type machines. Um, they're all driven by standard inverters. What we're doing is kind of flipping that and saying there's different types of topologies and inverters that we can use to drive these types of machines, uh, traditional or non-traditional types of machines. And what it does is, is effectively it gives us two different torque profiles that we can use. So if I can if I can switch the way in which I configure those coils, the way I apply the voltage to those coils, then I can get a vastly different torque, overall torque profile of that machine. And so you can, you can picture that I can take a motor that might have one set locked in torque profile. And by changing the ways in which I orient those coils inside the machine electrically, um, I can expand that torque map. So there's kind of this area under the curve that a motor can operate in and it used to be fixed. And what we're doing now is we're basically expanding that area. So you can get more um, utilization out of the same exact machine than you could before. And we're doing it simply by the way that we drive it with the, with the electronics. So, so I want to talk uh, about kind of the, the impact there, but quick question, is it, so it sounds like you could plug and play you can just replace a normal inverter and, and use a, a standard machine and there's some benefit. Um, is there a greater benefit if, if you then go in and redesign the motor to optimize what's now allowed by the way that you guys are performing this uh, conversion? Or is that something that's not being uh, broached so, so far? Um, just, just to like sort of back up quickly, we, we, do need to, um, we do need to connect into individual coils but okay. but the so there is a there is a change in terms of the leads that come from the machine so we do need to actually um, connect into individual coil groupings and that that means there's more leads that connect into the inverter itself so it's plug and play up to the the, the magnetic structure the coil configuration in terms of how many turns you have on the, on the tooth of the of the stator um, we can kind of play around with, with these types of variables a little bit, but, but generally, um, you know, if you want to plug and play, you still need to connect into the machine, but differently. Now winding, pulling those leads out is a lot different than having to totally change the motor design to fit the controller. It's, it's, it's not nothing, but it's definitely, um, 
lesser of a change. Um, then what we what we would see is there are ways to then optimize. So what we've started to look at um, is is how we can design the machine, not necessarily changing the magnetic um, structure of the rotor, um, but really looking at if we can drive the machine in a way that that allows us to operate under certain um, uh, drive cycle maps and these kinds of things with, let's say, a shorter stack length of the motor. So basically, I'm, I'm shortening the machine, reducing the material. So if I could get a better performance out of a smaller machine, um, so i.e., you know, maintain the top level torque, the, the, the low speed torque, and then drive the power uh, later on so that I can still kind of fill the requirement of what, like, let's say an automotive or a passenger car actually needs. The, the passenger car might not accelerate zero to 60 in two and a half seconds, but it might do it in, in six seconds and still get the performance on the highway that you need. Um, and so we're looking at ways in which we can play with the form factor, let's say, of the motor to optimize the overall system. And so that, that kind of allows us to look at ways of cost optimization, um, of efficiency optimization. And obviously, you know, we're not, we're not talking about you know, 30% um, range increase, you know, but we are talking about you know, each incremental amount. You, know, you, can, you can drive your machine a little bit more efficiently. That gets you maybe three or 4% extra range overall. But that also brings down the losses in your machine. So your cooling circuit can be smaller. Um, and all of this without you know, too much of a trade-off, that's the value proposition that we're bringing to the automotive sector that we're hoping um, really, that, that really sticks. So how about, so you, yeah, you mentioned expanding the, the torque profile of an electric motor. Um, one, I, I guess one question that listeners might be asking is, okay, electric motor has a, already has a better torque profile than a, than an engine, right? There, there's not a six, eight, 10 speed gearbox on a, on an electric motor. If you, if you buy a Tesla I don't, model three, you can get a one one motor um, single gearbox um, application type situation. So so why why does it matter? Who who what's the what's the benefit for those types of applications? What are the types of applications where you'll see the the real benefit of what you guys are doing here? Yeah, no, it's a great question because yeah, the, the whole selling point partly it is that you don't need you know you can just with a single motor you can kind of encompass. Um, so there's, there's kind of, there's what, what I would say is there's, there's a few different uh, ways in which you can look at it. Um, so you, like I said, like I mentioned, I guess before, if you look at expanding the torque profile um, in automotive, often the, the, the consideration here, especially with electric vehicles is if I talk about passenger cars, it's, it's about, it's about cost optimization, not necessarily um, always about say, you know, zero to 60 times with yeah. a lot of people, I mean, like if we look at a, like a, like a minivan or something like that, right. And, and there's, there's a whole mass market out there that doesn't necessarily need a Taycan or a Model S. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's an, there's an appetite there, I would say for looking at maybe a smaller machine as an example. So if I can take out some costs from my powertrain, um, if a motor, a permanent magnet motor, if I remember correctly from the Monroe, uh, teardown that we did, I think it was $800 for the Model 3. If I can reduce the stack length of that machine, even by 20%, it, it's roughly equivalent to in terms of cost. And so even if I could save $100 on that motor, 
times 20,000 a month, you're talking about. Yeah, it's profit. kind of like the engine downsiding movement, right? And I mean, a little bit different because because small engines aren't always cheap when you're adding turbochargers and stuff, but it's, it's, it's a similar uh, mindset. It, it, it's sort of a similar take. And that's sort of where we see, I would say on the, the like the mass market where that could be an advantage. Mm-hmm. If you take it the other direction, um, one of the ways that we, what we're doing is essentially applying um, uh, to each coil, we can apply a, a greater degree of, of, of current and voltage, let's say, sorry, shouldn't say current correction, a greater degree of voltage to each coil. So we drive power higher out of that, out of that machine. So for the same geometry of machine, we can later on in speed range and, and there's ways that we can play also with turn or we, what you would call a turn count in the machine to sort of adjust the torque profile even more where we can play and optimize for torque at the low end and power at the high end. If you're in a sports car that might have a two speed gearbox, for example, or it might be looking for some weight savings, might be looking for um, some power increase. It, it's a very interesting value proposition because then what you're saying is I can bring down the actual um, the envelope overall of the system. Um, I can I can get some more torque out of my machine, and I can get higher power on the highway. So obviously that needs to be um, optimized, but but there's a there's a definite movement at the high end. The Tycon, um, I think even Rymac is looking at two speed gearboxes when you look at some of these performance level. And obviously that's in the luxury side of things. I think even Mercedes now announced a two speed gearbox. So at that level um, and up, there's an interesting value proposition to keep it keep it simpler. Um, obviously you've got some some electronics you need to you need to consider in that, but you know you can get a, the same or better performance out of using that kind of a, um, a setup in terms of how this looks from a, a torque and a power profile of the machine. And it, it, it starts to look like you've applied a turbocharger as an example to, to, that, to that motor when you look at the power profile, um, which essentially is sort of, you see it, you see it kind of hit the, um, the peak, the peak power of the first configuration. And then as we switch into the second configuration, you can see the power start to take off again. And so you get this kind of lump of, of power that wasn't previously available. And, um, and then I, and then I, I would, then the last thing I would mention is, is where we're seeing a lot of traction is in commercial vehicles. And, and the reason for that really is they're looking at both great ability at the low end. So they need extremely high starting torques um, extremely high, uh, great ability in terms of how they climb, but, but, uh, the haul, tr- but like long haul trucker trucking, um, shuttle buses and these kinds of, um, yeah, other kind of commercial activities, they need both very, very high start ability and great ability. And then they need to get on the highway and have some performance. They can't sort of just move around on the highway and accelerate in 10 minutes. They need, they still need to have, to be able to kind of move around. And, and get that torque profile. Um, so what we what we provide there really is again high torque at the low end and the the power boost, let's call it. And well, and not even just a boost, long higher continuous power at the high end, where we can actually um, uh, where we can give them the the opportunity on the highway to actually actually uh, perform where they need to. So um, that's kind of I guess where I would where I would sort of 
say the, the applications are, it's, it's the only way to kind of achieve that at the high end is really the two-speed gearbox at the moment. You, can, mm-hmm. you can't really get both. You're trading off one or the other at the moment. And so for us, that's kind of where we see the value prop really making the most sense. Secondary to that, when you make the switch, what's interesting um, when you go into these different modes is you see the, the efficiency also increase at the high end. So, so one of the more interesting comparisons for us is to look at highway mileage versus um, overall drive cycle mileage. So if we look at a highway sort of steady state factor, um, switching into the other mode, you can get actually quite significant efficiency gains, five, seven, um, 8% range versus a traditional machine, which is operating right at its limit. Um, by shifting into those different modes, we can get a lot higher efficiency out of the electric motor. So, so highway mileage becomes actually something that's, that's quite interesting. Um, and it, you don't really measure that that well in an EPA drive cycle. So we're, we're trying to change the conversation a little bit there too, right? To say, look, you know, you look at a nice vehicle and highway mileage versus, um, you know, city mileage. If you did that same comparison, it would be very different, um, for an electric vehicle, depending on the, the powertrain that you have in there. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder why that is. I, if I guess if I had to guess, it would be the uh, kind of the assumption that I had at the beginning that electric motors are more efficient throughout. Uh, yeah, actually, I don't know why why I wouldn't have the uh, the highway versus city breakdown for a bev. Uh, one question on the drivability side: Do you? It, I don't know if this is something that you already have in in vehicles, but is this something that if if someone's driving, like, does it feel like a gear shift when the coil mode shift or is it noticeable to the driver um that's down to the control i guess how you want it to so it's a bit down to vehicle control how you want the acceleration to feel let's say um if you are operating right at the limit the 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 sort of the voltage limit of where the vehicle can, can operate so if you're going a full acceleration um yeah, what you would feel is essentially the power would be climbing as you accelerated as you kind of went through that constant torque range and then you would hit a power limitation and, and you would just sort of, you know, you, you would continue to accelerate, but, you know, you wouldn't have any more power um, for, you know, a fairly narrow band of RPM that, that you're looking at. And then suddenly what you would feel is when we make the switch, you would suddenly have access basically to an, another increase in power. So you would start to see basically, uh, uh, you, you would, you could feel almost like a, a boost. Um, and if you wanted to now, what we've during the drivability, it's, it's, uh, it, we can control that, I guess. However, yeah, you can you scale want. back, you can clean you it can, out. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's the kind of interesting thing also about electronics, very different from, from a mechanical ice type. Um, we, we can sort of, we can blur the lines a little bit, make it as smooth or as, as, as sort of abrupt as you want, as you want it to feel. So if you want to feel the punch, then, you know, you could basically program the vehicle to give you that punch. If, if the power and the torque is available because the, the drive can do it, then you could, you could program it to do so. So we, yeah, we've had those conversations where sometimes you want to smooth that out, ramp it a bit differently, but, but have the power available. Um, yeah. But yeah, in terms of there, there's not sort of a, there's not just a set, like, you know, there's a point where it's going to, the boost is going to hit and it's going to take off if you don't want that. So. Yeah. I picture it, uh, 
I don't know, on a medium heavy duty truck side, I imagine maybe you don't want to feel that over and over, but if it's a sports car, maybe you turn that into a feature and you get this, uh, this boost mode that, <laughs> that you punch in. Uh, sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, they probably want to, you know, operate at the bleeding limit all yeah. the, as much as they can. Right. So, um, so yeah, you could, you could have that kind of control. Um, so what's there. the, uh, what's, what's the current status of, of the technology? Is this something that's, uh, is it, running on a bench stop are you in in vehicles what type of vehicles what's what, etc yeah i mean interestingly enough so we, we've been operating the technology in, inside of like two-wheel vehicles right now so, large, so e-bikes um and we're in the process of installing it in in um, some motorcycle type applications right now um bench testing has been done on um on the hundred volt level. So we're still kind of in the lower voltages, but, um, we're pretty excited because, um, we we're about to accept, um, uh, delivery of a, of an 800 volt machine for a, for a commercial vehicle, which I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited to see that testing. That'll be in a vehicle over the summertime. Hmm. And so we're scaling it pretty rapidly into the high voltage and, and high power realm. So, the, the the peak current coming out of that 800 volt is around 800 amps. So it, it's a an extremely high power um, um, version. We're really really focused on um, class seven and class eight vehicles with this, and it's it's going to be very much something that sort of puts us into a new realm um, of possibility there with the coil driver. And I think we'll will really put us on the map. I would say from a from an application credibility standpoint. Um, so yeah, right now, uh, primarily it's been, it's been, uh, bench testing of various people's motors. And then we've got, um, some, some nice deployments coming in the latter half of this year. So you'll see, you'll see some nice, uh, see some nice video, some nice content coming out of XRO. Mm. Um, my, my hope is in the next few months, once we, once we have the deployments done, no promises, obviously, but yeah. that's kind of what we're, what we're targeting at the moment. So, um, yeah, that being said, we yeah, we're we're always interested, I guess, in anyone that sort of is looking to test their machine. We work with them to sort of um, modify their machine or find a find an alternative. If it's say an OEM, we can we can find an alternative machine that might work with with our drive. Um, but yeah, we've got some. We're, we're on the cusp of having some nice deployments um, that are going to be rolling around the streets very soon. Very cool. Yes, it sounds it sounds exciting. It'll be fun to watch. Uh, I, I guess maybe maybe the last question I had in this this area. So, one thought or maybe mis- misconception. I, I I'm I'm not really sure which it is. Uh, from that I, when I was doing research. Um, is this? Are there any applications in which this eliminates the need for a gearbox at all? So so what we're talking about a lot of it is the need for a multi-speed gearbox, right? It's it's a need to either duplicate motors for different applications or it's the need to go through multiple speeds and you can replace that need. Um, are there any applications in which it just completely, you, you can get rid of that gearbox that takes the high speed and puts it to a lower speed, higher torque application for an electric uh, vehicle? I mean, um, like getting rid of the fixed gear as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Going from the two speed. And that, that's, that's ultimately down to um, uh, the motor design. So fun, like fundamentally, the, the fixed gearing is there to keep your motor small enough to make sense from a cost perspective. And you, you run at what, so 18,000 RPM, some of these things. Yeah, yeah. It just, it's, it's I think that sort of, um, and then there's, there's going to be a limit to that too. Um, but, but I mean, you know, you, you don't, if you were to apply, let's say, 
you know, if you had a, if you have like a 400 Newton meter or a you know, 300 foot pound uh, motor, um, you, you can, you can, you can basically apply, let's say, you know, a five to one to a 10 to one ratio. And I can obviously get 10 times the torque at the wheel. And that's going to be, you know, a nice way for, for me to get that torque. If I was to get 10 times the torque out of a single motor, um, I could be looking at a, you know, a three or 400 kilogram motor just, just to drive yeah. that one. So, I mean, it, there's sort of in terms of scale, in terms of manufacturing, the, the fixed gear, I don't think is ever going to go away. Um, I think a fixed gear for sure will be required just, just from a cost perspective, um, and a packaging perspective, right inside the vehicle itself. Um, to, however, when you look at multi-speeds, yeah, that, that's where we see there's, there's a definite, uh, debate out there. I think if you're in, if you're in Europe right now, there's a, there's a trend or a push in the industry to, to look at two speeds and, I think that's been driven by, um, you know, the Taycan obviously adopted it. Um, there's a few others that are looking at it and, uh, and it's got a lot of attention. Um, it, and, and, and they're, and they're performing, they are performing well, right? It, it, there's no question. Um, they're performing well, but, but fundamentally you have more components, uh, you have more gear transitions. So you have more, um, you'll have more losses. So looking at that from that perspective, I think there's opportunity there to improve. Um, and when you factor in then that you can maybe use smaller machines and reduce the cost further, it's, um, there's, there's really, in our mind, our, 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 our view is that you probably in most applications won't require a two-speed gearbox. Um, however, if you want to apply the coil dryer to a two-speed, because uh, you've got that wide of a, of a range that you require it, there's no reason you couldn't, yeah. right? Exactly. There's, there's, not, there's not sort of a, a limitation um, to the, the torque envelope of the motor will be the torque envelope of the motor, whether that goes through uh, an 8 to 1 or a 16 to 1 ratio. It, it, it's however you want to use it and optimize it. So um, I'm, I'm obviously being careful not to just sort of alienate two-speed gearboxes because, you know, we don't know every single application that's out there, but um, we can see a world where, where most passenger cars, even on the performance level, really don't need. Um, it, it's, uh, we're, seeing that, we're seeing the simulation results come from that we're, that we're doing are really sort of showing quite, quite nicely that, that you're not going to require that. So. So yeah. just to, uh, to close, I got a couple more, more personal questions that we, we can, we can wrap up. So the first one, I see a, a nice, nice bookshelf behind you, which actually has been hit and miss for these types of questions. But the first question here, favorite book or book of books of yours. So is there anything that you've read that stands mm. out as particularly impactful for yourself, either um, personally or professionally? Um, I'm a huge, uh, history buff actually. Mm. Um, and uh, I actually, if I, so if I had to, I, if I had to sort of, uh, and I, I'm a real, uh, it's actually interesting because I'm Canadian, but I, I really got into um, uh, recently into uh, uh, Dave McCullough. He, re, he writes a lot of uh, like John Adams, 17 and 1776. Uh, I was really into American history, actually, which I know my Canadian listeners are going to be like, what is wrong with you? But, um, but yeah, no, I, I, uh, I'm really, I'm really into history. I'm really into, um, 
uh, kind of learning, I guess, from the past, understanding how that might also kind of affect, you know, decisions in the future. So I'm, uh, I'm really, I guess for me, that would be the genre. The number one is, and it's, you know, kind of, you know, nonfiction, maybe boring for some people. Um, and then, uh, yeah, also I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd. I like, I like reading sci-fi too. Um, I'm reading Isaac Asimov right now. So, and then I can't put it down. So, um, yeah, I'll confess. I, I'm in <laughs> so, so yeah, that's, uh, from a personal level, that's, that's kind of where, where I, I generally tend trend towards. So. Cool. Yeah. A lot, a lot to be learned kind of in both of those genres. Yeah, uh, for sure. So how about, uh, personal strength of yours so what is something that you think you uh you do well that you've been able to leverage um ideally professionally to some extent um to to have some level of impact or success um i tend i think i think uh, i tend to make sure that i i've got um i've got data to back up what i'm what i'm doing so when i think a strength of mine would be to make sure that i see um from a technical standpoint, uh, especially in my personal life, I've always been in the engineering field, um, making sure that I feel confident before I, I put anything out there um, that we've got the right answer, whether that takes us more time or not. And, and ensuring that my team follows in that, in that sort of space as well. We're not always you know, gonna be able to, to, to apply to Coil Driver or any of our technology, it's, it's not going to be a slam dunk necessarily for every single thing that we, that we come across. But, it, you know, where we do see the value, let's make sure we do our thorough analysis. And so, I mean, that, that kind of detail, I'm very, very, uh, I'm a bit of a, I'm a stickler about to make sure we get it right, make sure that we don't put something out there. Um, I think from a, um, from a, a sort of a leadership standpoint, I guess I, I, I try to let my team run uh, and empower them to, to do what they want. So I try to act more as, okay, you know, support them with what they need, make them, you know, sometimes there's going to be mistakes made and that's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll pick it up. Um, and that, that's something I've really gotten from, from our CEO, Sue as well. I mean, she's, she's, uh, she's very much sort of, you know, wants us to go and, and run and, and, and accelerate the company as much as possible. And the way that we do that is really empowering people. Yeah. So um, from my perspective, it's a bit of that kind of, you know, let, let, let go and let, let, let the team kind of do what they're best at. And so, um, you know, once we, once we get someone up to the right level of expertise, once we, once we bring them on board, you know, it's, it's automatically like, okay, go and own, make sure you have ownership over what you're doing. And, and that's kind of, I think from a, leadership standpoint that's what i try as much as possible to 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 uh to convey nice real, real quick follow, or follow up on the first one so you mentioned data driven uh decision making and kind of being a stickler there do you think that's something that's ingrained in a uh seventh grade josh was running around looking for data or is that something that you picked up through college or one of your first jobs or something like that uh <laughs> good question um i've always been i've always been very uh like analytical, I guess I would say. Yeah. If my, if I was to talk to my parents, I was very curious. I wanted to dive deep and understand something, um, and 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 the background and the detail behind it, um, and sort of in, 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 like improve on things as much as possible, and always make sure that 
that I was I was giving detail. Definitely, I don't think I, I sort of got fully um, organized around that and mo- knew how to kind of manage that. I don't think until I got into the workforce, really. But but yeah. uh, before that, it was yeah. I mean, I think a lot of engineers are kind of naturally drawn. Also, just you know, it's it's not a trade. I don't think that's that unique to me. It probably you know if you if you've gone through that engineering, you're taught to you know analyze, assess, design, test, re you know iterate, and then and can kind of kind of keep going through that. But, yes. But really, that that first portion, yeah. I, I mean, I think I, I was a natural fit for that that engineering mind uh, to 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 go that way. So, and I am I'm mostly on the commercial side of the business now, but it it still applies, right? I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. I, yeah. To, Still, I'm on the commercial side still, but the uh, rational uh, analytical approach definitely definitely comes through. So cool. Yeah. So I uh, want to wrap up here, I guess, the, the last. So I, I'll certainly I'll link um, with this episode in the show notes. I'll link to your LinkedIn profile, to the, the extra uh, website. Right. Is there any place in particular where you would send people to learn more? And then also just open up if we happen to miss anything or if there's anything that you wanted to get across, feel free. Uh, yeah, I mean, our website's really the best place, I would say, to get the most information on the company. Um, if you want, you can, um, you know, you can always reach out on on um, on our LinkedIn page as well. There's an extra LinkedIn page. So you have comments, you have questions. Um, we are monitoring that all the time. And um, and also, we're, I mean, we're on, we're on Twitter. We're trying to get, you know, the usual avenues. We're trying to get ourselves, um, you know, more and more more and more um, uh, acknowledgement and more and more, I guess, exposure um, on those types of social media platforms. So you can find us on those, on those three really. Um, and we even have on our website, we have an info. If you, if you do submit, um, you can even, if you go to sales at extra, it comes directly to me. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but, um, but <laughs> we now have your but email I, and account. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do, we do, uh, we do, we do monitor that. So if people want to, um, They've got questions. They can um, either from an like we are a public company, so investors can can go and look at that. Um, and for, if they're more interested in the application, or uh, let's say it's a, a commercial partner, then um, you can also go to um, the sales um, and look at look at. We can, we're happy to kind of strike up a conversation, um, run through simulations with different um, customers if they want to see how this will affect, and if possible, test. Uh, we're always big proponents of real world testing. And, and so we've got some drives, like I said, at the 800 volt unit level and down that, um, you know, we're always looking forward to t- trying out new motors. So. Very cool. Well, Josh, appreciate the time. This is definitely the, uh, the deepest I've gotten into power electronics on the, uh, on the podcast, which has been fun. So awesome. Yeah. Really appreciate you taking the time to, to join. Yeah, today. no, for sure. For sure. No, no, I'm really, really glad it's a topic. I might hope gets more attention so if i can add to that then great the future mobility podcast is brought to you by fev for more than 40 years fev has been a global leader in the development of mobility solutions for the transportation industry with a team of experts passionate about innovation through the design development integration and validation of turnkey vehicle and propulsion system technologies fev is your partner for the development of future mobility solutions I'm your host, Brandon Bartnick. If you want to learn more or get in contact to share feedback or questions, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn at Brandon Bartnick. Thanks for listening.